Dear Heavenly Father, we need you here. We thank you for being here. We ask that you will guide our thoughts and minds. I pray that we can get the projector working, if it's your will, and that we can have a meaningful time here. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So one thing we realized right off the bat was that even seven hours, seven sessions, there's no way to give you all the information we'd like to give you on doing this for a living. Um, but one thing that I want to do is try to point you to resources. When I first started farming in 1998, of course, that was before the internet really took off, but my biggest challenge was where do I find this stuff? You know, I wanted, I read in Elliot Coleman's book about this and this, but how do I get a hold of it? And so we want to point you to those. Yeah, well, I mean, just the slides. Okay, thank you, Nick. I don't know what we'd do without Nick. He's been a lifesaver. Can you all see that? It's a little bright. I wonder if we can turn some lights off. So since we've got this, I'm going to rush through this. I've just got a few slides, and I don't think I need to convince most of you. Uh, and, and some of this has already been talked about, you know, Farming was God's original plan for man. We're familiar, Genesis 2.15, and the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And then I want to point out, even after sin, you know, some may say, well, yeah, but, but the world changed when sin came in. Yes, it did change. It was going to be harder, but even after sin, Genesis 3.23, therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he was sent out to do the same thing he'd been doing in. It's also God's future plan for man. We know that in heaven, in the new earth, we're going to be building houses and inhabiting them, planting vineyards and eating the fruit thereof. I often wonder what we're going to do without weeds and pests and disease, but it sounds like I, I, I'd like to try, <laughs> figure it out. Isaiah 65, 21 is that verse, and this is the clincher. It's still the best plan in the meantime. In God's plan for Israel, every family had a home on the land with sufficient ground for tilling and that land thus was that provided both the means and the incentive for a useful, industrious, and self-supporting life. And no devising of men has ever improved upon that plan. This quote was what got us into farming. When I read that, I said, why would I settle for anything less? If this is the best plan, that's the, what I want. And that was the beginning of our journey. I wish I had time to share that. And if that's not reason enough, we can talk about other things. It brings families together. You know, modern life tears families apart. Would you all agree with that? Agrarian life brings them back together again. You need the whole family to make it work. There's something 
to do for every age, whether it's the grandparents, they can sit on the porch and shell peas and um, whatever, you know. The little kids can carry tools. They can pull weeds. There's something for every age. It is wonderful in uniting the family. It decompartmentalizes life. Modern life is divided into many compartments. You go to work, you go to school, you come home, you want to have some family time, then you've got to figure out time for outreach. That's important, right? And then you've got to work in exercise. When are you going to get your exercise? And then you've got to have your time with the Lord. That's important. So you've got all these different directions. Life is trying to pull you. But the beauty of the agrarian life is it brings it all back together again. Your work is at home. You don't have to go anywhere. Your outreach is your business. You get paid to go to the city and share with people. It's incredible. Your exercise is your work. Your time with God, I'm not saying it should replace your quiet time you know, with the Lord in the morning, but you can walk with God all day. Oftentimes, it's just you and he out there in the garden together. It's amazing. It's the Adventist advantage in one neat package. You know, all the things that Mrs. White emphasizes in her writings is tied up in this. Um, country living, family emphasis, the, the health evangelism, outreach to the cities. You know, we do that twice a week. How many of you go to the cities twice a week to evangelize? Um, of course, agriculture, you know, there's a lot of emphasis on that in her writings. The eight natural remedies, can anyone tell me another occupation which is so involved in all eight natural remedies? I challenge you, I haven't found any yet. It's all in agriculture. True education, we just heard about that. We could go on and on. It's so beautiful that just and we didn't even understand this when we started. We just figured, well, no devising of man has ever improved on it, so let's do it. And it's only coming to us over time. Wow, this is amazing. Better than we could have ever imagined. It's healthy for the whole person. And again, much of this we've talked about, mental, physical, spiritual, emotional, Moral, I just want to touch on that. You know, we don't like to talk about this too much for some reason, but men, and I would appeal to women, do you want your husbands to stay pure? The world is trying to get them to fall. Everywhere, the workplace, the, the cities, wherever they go, the devil is trying to lure men. It's an all-out assault. And I'm not suggesting that you won't be tempted in the garden. But I am suggesting and I am telling you that I can't think of any place with less temptations. You still have to deal with yourself and your mind, but you're surrounded by the things of God.
the social, you know, you're working together. Um, something Joshua said, you know, the, the point that children realize this is valuable. You know, if, if we don't get the crops covered when the cold is coming, we may lose this crop, which means we're not going to have money to, to, to pay the electric bill. You know, we're not... So they realize this is not just a chore mom and dad give me to keep me from, from being on the computer all the time. This is, I've got to do this or we're going to be in trouble. It's just amazing. The world is hungry for good food and real relationships. Social media can't satisfy that hunger. I think, I think they're already figuring that out. Large agribusiness companies can't satisfy that hunger, but small diversified family farms can. Through nutrient-dense food, for, through real food and emotionally rich relationships. You know, I, it's unbelievable the relationships that you develop with your customers. Those of you who are here last night, I, I read that quote about how God has created us to bond with those who feed us. That's an incredibly powerful bond. It, it gets me choked up just thinking about it. You know, the last CSA of the season, our customers are crying. They're crying because they're going to miss us and miss our food. Um, they bring us gifts. You know, they say, we can't thank you enough for what you're doing. But I want to warn you that it's, it, it's one of the hardest things you may ever do. It will stretch you. It will test you like nothing you've ever done before. And, and I used to wrestle with the Lord on this. Lord, you've called us to this, but yet it's so hard. What's wrong here? And finally, it was like one of those light bulb moments. It was like, well, of course it's going to be hard. The devil doesn't want you in the garden. All the forces of hell will be against you. It's Satan's greatest desire to keep man out of the garden. That's where God created him to be. So obviously, Satan is going to try to keep you out of it. Just keep that in mind. It requires a deep dying to self. It's not fun to get out there when the wind is blowing and it's very cold. It's not fun to get out there when it's over 100 and 98% humidity. It's often just plain hard work. The money is not good for the time and energy exerted. Now, I, it, it's getting better. There are more opportunities, and for some of you young people, I'm convinced you can really make it work. We're still, we're still trying to unlearn stuff, if you know what I mean. So we are hoping the next generation is going to far surpass us. And not that this is really important, but it doesn't have much status, especially in Adventism. That's a sad fact that I hope will change. You know, my, my daughter shares sometimes, she says, you know, I go to the farmer's market and I'm treated like a hero. 
I go to an Adventist gathering and tell them I'm a farmer, and it's like, oh. <laughs> sad. Yet despite all this, it's deeply satisfying and rewarding. We wouldn't trade our life for any other, and we can't recommend it highly enough. I'm just looking at my time and realizing I may have rushed too much, but that's okay. This is another of my favorite quotes. I have a lot of favorite quotes. This one is power-packed, and I've spent a lot of time trying to dissect it. From Education, page 33 and 34. The education centering in the family was that which prevailed in the days of the patriarchs. For the schools thus established, how were the schools established? It was a family-centered education, right? God provided the conditions most favorable for the development of character. So what are those conditions most favorable for the development of character? The people who were under his direction still pursued the plan of life that he had appointed in the beginning. What was that? What was the plan of life at the beginning? It was in the garden. Put, put Adam in the garden. Those who departed from God built for themselves cities, and we heard about that last night. That's the opposite of God's plan. Cities. But the men who held fast God's principles of life dwelt among the field and hills. They were tillers of the soil and keepers of flocks and herds. And in this, well, let me just stop there. So what is the conditions most favorable for the development of character? Country living, agrarian life, tillers of the soil, keepers of flocks and herds. And in this free, independent life, Another word we use for that is self-supporting, right? Independent, being your own boss. Free, independent life with its opportunities for labor. That's the physical and study, mental, and meditation, spiritual. They learned of God and taught their children of his work and ways. There it is, the conditions most favorable for the development of character. So you're here to learn about market gardening, how you can actually make a living doing it. Um, I'll tell you, as I just did, that it's not easy. It's not going to happen overnight. I'm going to share some resources here, and you'll be saying, wow, you know, you've got these visions of what could be, but um, Rome wasn't built in a day, isn't that what they say? And your farm is not going to be built in a day, but there are a lot of resources out there. There's a growing number of people who are doing it. I hope you'll try to tap into those people this weekend. The farmers that are going to be presenting here in this session, again, you can only pack so much in half an hour. But I hope, I know all of them will be willing and eager to talk with you. Um, 
in those few moments in between meetings and uh, wherever they can fit it in. So, with that in mind, I want to talk a little bit about resources, and I'm trying to stay tied to this. Well, I can do this. I'll just take the microphone with me. All of you got uh, a recommended resource list, and unfortunately, that is my list. I had wanted to kind of compile one from, from everyone, but um, we didn't get that information together. And so this is my list, and I'm sure that the other farmers, I hope they can share some other resources. Uh, does one, somebody have one of those? I need one myself. Okay, I got. We're not going to talk about all these, but I, I want to talk about them now at the beginning of the conference because Ad Agra has purchased most of these books and they will be for sale over there in that room. Um, I, I will tell you right up front, you can get them cheaper on Amazon, but if you buy them here, you're supporting Ad Agra. And, and so that's up to you. But The New Organic Grower by Elliot Coleman is the place to start, in my opinion. His book is, is actually becoming a little bit um, dated. I'm trying to remember, I think it was revised in 95. So that's almost 20 years ago. But of course, most agricultural knowledge doesn't go out of date. And so that's the beauty of it. In fact, many of the best books are from the early 1900s or even earlier. So don't let that deter you. Um, Again, you're, you're, you're not going to agree with everything these people say because they're not Adventists. But this and that quote that I shared with you are what I attribute to us getting into agriculture. I got a hold of this book. And, you know, I had no background, no real interest uh, in agriculture until I started reading these things in the spirit of prophecy. And then I got a hold of this book, The New Organic Grower, and I started reading it. And in my mind, he's, he's a tremendous writer, just a really interesting writer to read. And I said, wow, this, this sounds like something I could enjoy. And so that was the beginning of our journey. And any list of books I see, this is highly recommended. This is kind of, um, I mean, it has historical value because he's kind of considered by many to be kind of the father of the, the new organic movement. Of course, some people have been doing it for forever, uh, but I, I would highly recommend this book. He goes into a lot of detail on tools and how to use them and really emphasizing a small approach. And I think, in my mind, that is a key to getting more Adventists into this. You don't have to have 
30 acres. You can actually do it on an acre, acre and a half. He has, I would call this an addendum to the new organic grower from I think about 95 to 2005, he spent 10 years just doing winter growing. And I know some of you are from up north and you're thinking, well, wait a minute. You know, what does that mean? Elliot Coleman is in Maine. That's pretty far up north. He's in zone five. Um, he grows year round, all winter long in unheated hoop houses. Alan Seiler was just there last week or last 10 days at his place. I hope he has pictures, you know. So he tells you how to do it low tech. We're not talking about fancy, you know, $20,000 greenhouses. We're talking about simple structures, one layer of plastic, one layer or maybe two layers of row cover, floating row cover. Those of you who went to our farm yesterday, you know, where you, many of the techniques we're using, we got straight from Elliot Coleman. I just need my phone here so I can keep track of time. Okay, I don't have much time. I want to give Lucia a full half hour here. Um, Sustainable Market Farming. This is a new book that just came out recently, but this is, I, I, this is almost a reference work, in my opinion. It's got two main sections I talk about, but incredible amount of information on all your different crops. Lots of information. So this is a great resource for market gardeners. Um, the Market Gardener, this is, this is a book that has really excited me. This just came out last year in English. This is a young man. Alan also visited his farm. We, went, we visited it last year up in Quebec. He's been doing it for 10, just a little over 10 years. He's bringing in close to 150,000 off an acre and a half of intensively managed garden. And it's unbelievable, actually, to read and to, to try to figure out how he does that. But it's, it's all about um, keeping crops in there, having a, a detailed plan where where something comes out, you replace it immediately. And, and he's doing that in a, in a, he doesn't do winter growing. That's from June. His marketing season is from June to October. And he's bringing in that kind of money. Now, again, I don't, I mean, we're not even bringing in that kind of money yet. Um, so don't think that, wow, I can quit my job and I can make 150000 It's not going to happen that way, I'll just promise you. But this is showing what can be done. And again, our emphasis should not be money, right? But you do have bills to pay, and so you've got to have something that can work. So I highly recommend this book. Basically, he's, he's standing on Elliot Coleman's shoulders, and he says that. You know, I learned from Elliot, and I've adopted and adapted and gotten a few new tools, and he's growing from there. 
Market farming success, I would highly recommend this one for anyone just considering it. Read this. This book um, goes over all the basics of market farming. It's got a lot of resources at the end, just a great starting point. So I'd highly recommend that, that book. And I told you we have these books, but we have limited amounts of these books. We weren't sure how many to order so just putting in a plug there. Now, we don't even have them set up yet, so don't rush us, don't mob us at 11.30, but I would not wait till Sunday because they may not be there. And then I want to, to just mention this magazine. I brought these over here because I want you all, this group, to have first, first chance to get these. Whatever's left is going back over there for anybody to use or to get. But the market gar are growing for market, in my opinion, is the best magazine out there for market gardeners. It comes out 10 times a year. It's full of practical advice. I just have to share quickly, um, Nick and David, if they're here, I think they'll remember this, but I got this magazine uh, I got an issue a year and a half ago uh, in the spring, and, and they were actually down in the hoop house planting our tomatoes. This was March. And I got the issue, and I said, I've got to read this article. It was on planting tomatoes. And he had a different system as far as spacing that I thought was far superior. I went running down to the hoop house, literally, and I said, stop. And we pulled out the tomatoes we'd already planted and replanted them the other way. That's the kind of practical advice. You know, it's $36 a year. If you do it for three years, it's $90, so you save a little bit. But in my opinion, that's some of the best spent money you're going to spend if you are interested in this. Okay, there's internet resources. Uh, seed catalogs and, and other catalogs. I have these, or Alan got these for us. Deerfield Supplies, I would highly recommend, and please just take one per family. But um, this place is in southern Kentucky. It's the cheapest prices I have seen on, on most of your supplies. We use it extensively, and some people, some of our friends, you know, all the way from Allen in Oklahoma, they've found even with shipping, it's cheaper than they can get anywhere else. So this is a highly recommended catalog. Um, as far as seed catalogs, I just point out, you know, there's a lot of other companies that, that I could have put on there. I'm not being paid by any of these. I'm just saying these... The ones I've put there are, are, I think, more geared for market gardeners than some of the others as far as pricing and some of this information. So there's lots of others. I know Baker Creek is here, and I want to support Baker Creek. They're a great company, and um, you know I'm not trying to suggest that there's not other good companies. Okay, so you're welcome. Please come up afterwards and... Get oh, Seven Springs Farm. I have their catalog as well there in Virginia for those of you over that way. Great source for amendments.
Um, but that's a start, and we'll talk about more as we go along, but we want to let Lucia take over from here. So as I said last night, we're going to start with, with a small farm, so you're not overwhelmed and you say, well, yeah, I think I could do that. And then we're going to kind of go to kind of get bigger as we go along. And, and, and bigger, of course, is not better. We're just showing you a range of farms. Okay, Jim, are you, are you the spokesman here? We're making available our PowerPoint presentation. And also, we want to provide an opportunity for uh, some training if you're interested. So we're going to pass around this little sign-in sheet. If you're interested in, uh, there's a little, a little check mark under PowerPoint or under training materials if you're interested. Yes, we're thankful for Nick too. I'm Jim Tiffany, this is my wife Lucia, and uh, we live about three quarters of the way up in lower Michigan, so we have a pretty cold climate, and we have a little farm, Paradise Acres Farm, and um, um, in 2012, we were at Michigan camp meeting, and um, we were interested in uh, provide, finding a source of income for, uh, that Lucia could be involved with uh, that could supplement some of my work. I'm a, I'm a civil engineer, and I also do construction work in the outdoor environment. Uh, with the Michigan economy the way it's been, um, it's been up and down. Uh, 2012 and 2013 were down. And uh, so when we had an opportunity to go to a uh, gardening uh, seminar put on by uh, the Smith family, uh, Byron and Janice, and their, their daughter, Amy, Amy uh, we took advantage of that at camp meeting in 2012. And uh, we attended that and learned about growing microgreens. And uh, so we started this, this business after camp meeting in 2012. And uh, we found this to be uh, not only a means of additional support for our family, but also a way that we can witness in our community. And as Lucia does deliveries every week, she also hands out... Um, Vibrant, sometimes a vibrant life. Vibrant life, the little uh, format tracks, and also uh, we follow that up with uh, balanced living, and now we're doing glow tracks. Mm -hmm. Just want to uh, present a couple of quotes here uh, for your thought here. Uh, the first one comes from Child Guidance, page three hundred fifty-six. And in these days of mammoth trusts and business competition, there are few who enjoy so real an independence and so great certainty of fair return for their labor as does the tiller of the soil. And what we have found with the microgreens business is that although it's not big money, what I really like about it is that it's steady and it's stable, it's consistent, okay? So uh, in those years where my business was uh, flagging, uh, sometimes it was the microgreens that paid the bills. Mm -hmm. And um, 
things got really tight uh, during those years, and I don't know, you know, I'm sure God would have provided for us somehow, but I think this was his means of providing for us and helping us to get through those tough years. Uh, and I already mentioned, uh, well, I didn't mention, I would like to mention, uh, that we have my mother living in our home. Uh, she's 87 this year, and she relies on us for everything. Uh, the only thing that she can do for herself uh, is chew and swallow. So uh, that keeps Lucia very busy. And so this works very well for us in, in helping us uh, with some income. And Lucia can be flexible in her schedule. And this works out very well for us. Uh, the next quote also comes from Child Guidance, page 357. If people only knew the value of the products of the ground, which the earth brings forth in their season, more diligent efforts would be made to cultivate the soil. All should be acquainted with the special value of fruits and vegetables, fresh from the orchard and garden. And I just want to say that, you know, we benefit in an additional way from growing microgreens, and that is what's left over is for us. <laughs> so um, we grow to order, but we grow a little extra. Just sometimes we end up being a little short still, but we grow a little extra uh, just to make sure we mostly have enough. And um, sometimes, well, we end up with the surplus. And, uh, you know, it's just tremendous when I'm sitting at my desk working away at the computer and Lucia brings me a green smoothie that comes from these wonderful, very nutritious microgreens. Okay, so let's tell us, we're going to tell you a little bit about our operation. Um, we are a micro enterprise. By definition, that's a business with less than six employees. I work in the microgreens an average of about 23 hours a week, and we have hired help that helps us about five to eight hours a week. It's a high school kid from our neighborhood. And our growing space is only 8 feet by 20 feet. Um, this is indoor space. We've actually converted part of a single-car garage into this space. And our yield in terms of volume is anywhere from 12 to 18 pounds of microgreens a week. And that um, varies because in the summer we have a lot more orders than we do in the winter. And so this is kind of the span across the year of how much we may be growing. Um, our estimated revenue for this year is going to be about $29,000, and this is our second full year of doing microgreens. And our net is about 60% of revenue before taxes. So that just kind of gives you a little bit of an idea of, um, you know, what we're doing economically with this. The scale. The scale. Um, I want to start with the definition of microgreens. A lot of people still don't know what microgreens really are. And uh, they're vegetable and herb seedlings that are grown in soil to the cotyledon or first true leaf stage when they're harvested by cutting the stems just above the soil. I have a sample tray that we brought here that you're welcome to take a look at just to give you an idea of what that's like. This is ready for harvest. Has been growing for about 14 or 15 days now. This one right here is a mixed brassica, which means it has broccoli, arugula, green kale, cauliflower, um, a little bit of radish, and so on in it. 
there, a lot of people ask me, how nutritious are microgreens? Are they as nutritious as sprouts? Well, they're a little different from sprouts in that sprouts you eat the seed, and with microgreens you don't, but most of the stuff from the seed has already gone into the shoot. Um, so there's only a couple of studies, or actually this is the only one I've found, that does tell us that the phytochemical levels in assorted microgreens that they tested at the University of Maryland tended to have higher levels of health protective elements than more mature leaves and sometimes as much as 40 times more. This is um, our availability list. This tells you the kinds of things that we grow for sale. Um, you will see on the left-hand column, we have organic green immune boost mix. We used to call it a brassica mix, and nobody really knew what that was, and so we changed the name, and this really works well. Um, <laughs> the health food store loves it, and uh, so they're one of our big markets for that one. We have an organic rainbow mix. This is a mix of greens that we grow separately, and we hand mix together, so it's kind of our personal... Um, custom mix, they won't get this anywhere else. And we have organic Asian greens, which are a mixture of pak choy, tatsoi, mizuna, and radish. Here's a picture of our rainbow mix. Isn't that just gorgeous? I just think the beauty of microgreens is something that's really hard to match anywhere, and I just, I just love how fun it is to work with these beautiful greens. We also have organic radishes, spicy mustard, uh, pea shoots, sunflower greens, and basil. We grow a little bit of cilantro, but we only do it for one restaurant because they really ask us specifically for it, but it's so much trouble, it's not really worth it. So um, we just kind of do it for customer satisfaction. <laughs> um, looking at the kinds of crops, there's a lot of different crops that you can grow as microgreens. These are some of the easiest to start with, and they are easy because they're not real fussy and they don't take too long to grow. So you don't have as much risk of running into problems with dampness or mold or whatever like you do with some of the longer growing ones. Brassicas are very hardy, they're green, they're great. Um, mustards provide a little bit of a flavor boost. Sunflowers are very popular in Michigan and I think in a lot of other places they're very sturdy, robust, large um, sprout. That's the one down here on the left. We also have grown corn shoots for certain um, restaurants that were asking for them, and they're delicious. They're like candy. They're popcorn, and you grow them about this tall in the dark, and they're yellow, and they, they are very, very sweet. Um, and pea shoots are also fairly popular. Some of the more difficult crops to grow are your color crops and your herbs. Things like bull's blood beet, cilantro, fennel, herbs, chards, um, these take longer to grow, um, some of them three weeks or more, and they tend to be a little bit more difficult to get a good yield out of. Um, so if you're just starting out, I'd start with something on that first slide rather than these things. But these are very important if you want the color crops like we do in the rainbow mix. Um, there are basically two different methods for growing the microgreens. The first one is using plug trays, which is what our sample microgreen is in and it has 72 cells, and using this helps to economize on soil. Some people grow all their microgreens in a flat tray, but you use less soil in a plug tray. That's a flat tray, and we use the flat trays for some of our bigger ones like peas and sunflowers and corn shoots grow in the flat trays, pretty much everything else in the plug trays. Um, with the plug tray crops, there are a few that we have to soak seeds for, but then basically we plant them in the in the tray, we germinate them, um, covered with high humidity, and then we put them out under the lights once they're germinated. Um, for the flat tray crops, we soak the seeds and pre-sprout them. 
those are the really big seeds like sunflower and peas. And then these trays are stacked and you put a little weight on them until the shoots are about this long, about two inches long. And then you put them in indirect or no light, depending on what you're growing, for a few days. And then they just go under the lights to green up. So it's a bit more of a process and you have to really stay on top of those stages to make sure that um, you end up with a good crop. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit about market considerations. Um, if you're looking at doing microgreens, what are things you need to think about? And we're going to just talk to you about our particular market. Um, we are about 15 miles away from Traverse City, which is a population center, and there's a lot of interest in this sort of product in our community. There's probably 75,000 people in our county and about 40,000 in the urban area of Traverse City. Um, there's a fair amount of upper to middle class, there's a local community college, and there's a lot of interest in environmentally friendly, organic, and local produce. There are quite a number of local farmers markets in the counties around us, as well as in our own county. And there isn't a lot of competition for microgreens commercially. Um, when I started going around, people told me that they, some people were buying microgreens from another little farm nearby, but they complained about quality a lot. And I understand why after we got into it, because it's hard to be very consistent in your quality, but that is really what sets you apart from um, your competitors. And we're also the only certified organic operation. Um, our local health food or co-op does a really booming business. They sell about $5 million a month in the summertime. And they have a very big produce section. But that, that particular item alone is important in that it tells you that there's an interest in our community for healthy foods. And in some communities, there may not be that kind of interest. So that's something to, to think about. Um, here, this tells you a little bit more about our Traverse City area. We're one of the top 10 summer trips for 2012, according to National Geographic. One of the things that really impacts microgreens is that it is one of the top five foodie towns in America. And a foodie town is really where you can often find a good market for these microgreens. Um, also, there are a lot of local wineries. Uh, unfortunately, it's a lot of the wineries and breweries that have the profit margin to purchase microgreens, which was something I didn't know until we got into it. Um, and so anyway, that just tells, us, tells you a little bit about our area. Now, how did we go about marketing? Our approach was just kind of from the seat of my pants because we really didn't really know anything about marketing. I'm not a marketer um, or much of a salesperson. But I started by checking with our local health food store to find out if anybody would buy our microgreens if we grew them. And I did this before we planted the first seed. Um, I talked to the produce manager and he said, you know, we used to have someone that sold us microgreens, but they're not around anymore. So yes, we'd be willing to try it as long as you give us a price that's reasonable and that we can do our markup and resell it. And so I knew I had one customer when we started. And uh, so that was kind of what gave us the courage to, to get into it. Then I also did a lot of cold, cold calls to local restaurants. Just use Google, look for fine dining in your close community. And we tried to contact the manager or the executive chef and make appointments to deliver free samples. Our samples were always packaged the way we would deliver them um, so they could see our label, they could see all of our information, and they could stick it in the refrigerator and see how long it lasted. For a lot of restaurants, how long the microgreens will last is very important consideration for them. A poor quality microgreen can go bad in three or four days. Our microgreens are good in the refrigerator if they're kept well for about 14 days. That really does make a difference. 
Um, we'd also deliver the samples with a schedule for ordering. Because we grow to order only, we don't have the margin to just grow a bunch of stuff and hope some of it sells. So we have them order, and because it's basically a two and a half week um, lead time that we need to do most order fulfillment, we ask them to let us know about that much ahead of time when they want to start, when they want to change, or if they want to stop something. And by doing that, we can plan our planting and not have a ton of surplus that we can't use or come up short most of the, t most of the time. Um, the availability list also, of course, shows the prices and shows the sizes so that they know um, what it's going to cost them. Our customer base has now grown to where we've delivered to two to four grocery stores, it does depend on the season, and six to eight restaurants. Um, we have not explored farmers markets because of our scheduling issues. I cannot leave my mother-in-law alone at home for extended periods, and so farmers markets aren't a good option for us. Um, when it comes to planning, that's a, that's a really big part of growing microgreens. I'm going to let Jim talk about this. Okay, uh, after we got into this, uh, not only got our, our feet wet, but got in much deeper than that, uh, what, what we found out was that there were, there were several variables here uh, that made planning for planting challenging. One is that from week to week, the, the quantities that we're delivering can vary based on the orders. The orders change once in a while. Uh, each crop has a different length of time for growing, and our mixes often have multiple crops, okay? So Lucia was spending sometimes four or five hours a week just trying to figure out what she needed to plant for that week. Mm -hmm. So I put together what we call the microgreens automation spreadsheet. And for that, we have some inputs. We have a worksheet for each customer where we can put in their orders for quite a few weeks out. Uh, we also inputted the growing duration by crop and we have certain days that we plant and uh, we harvest one day a week so uh, we had to work that out and also we looked at the our historical average yields by crop and inputted that information and also our mix proportions for um, rainbow mix and and so on uh, and what we ended up with as an output was a worksheet that tells you when and how much of each crop to plant. And uh, so, and it would, I'll show you here uh, in a moment here, just a little quick look at that. Uh, it, you know, one thing about this is that it involves a lot of complicated spreadsheet formulas. And it's not user friendly to set up initially, but it saves that four or five hours a week of, of planning time for planting. And, of course, we try to set up our schedule for, uh, uh, you know, avoiding Sabbath work. The one thing we have not been able to avoid at this point is we have to rent some of our seeds on Sabbath. And, but that's very minimal. It takes very little time and doesn't tie us up. And I'd be interested to hear from some of the other some of the farmers, how you deal with that. I mean, when you have certain things that just have to be done on Sabbath, how do you minimize that? How do you, how do you work with that? 
Uh, this is, this is uh, the output of the automation spreadsheet. You can see the, the crops here in the left column. And then the, the planting days, it gives you the number of trays you need to plant for each crop for that, for that day of, of, the, of the week for the planting uh, cycle. And as you can see here, we have th three planting days, Wednesday, Thursday, and Sundays of each, of each week. And sometimes that varies a little bit depending on how uh, warm our garage is running and so on. We are USDA certified organic, and except for the health food store, so far no one else really seems to care. But I figure that will be helpful if we diversify, and it also kind of gives us a leg up in the market. Uh, it does require good record keeping, but I think that's helpful even if you're not going to be certified. We have to keep planting records by tray. All my trays are numbered, and we put the date, the crop, the quantity, the lot number, and the seed supplier for each of those. We have harvest records by tray with the date and quantity, which means that anything that's on the shelf of the store can be traced right back to the seed of origin, where it came from, who that we got that seed from. Um, we also keep soil and seed mix logs, and I have a binder and file folders that we keep all of this to organize it. Um, being certified costs us about $1,200 a year, but there are grants to help um, with certification in a lot of states, and to, this year we got a $721 back. A few other considerations. Um, labor requirements, um, we've kind of talked about that already. Does depend on the season? Sometimes it's a little more, sometimes it's a little less, but 18 to 28 hours for me, five to eight hours for part-time hired help, which is a total man hours of 23 to 36 hours a week. And we do a harvest delivery one day per week. Um, things we have to consider is our climate in northern Michigan. We started with this small outdoor greenhouse that we outfitted with shelves. And we have a very short summer. We run our outdoor wood-burning furnace that heats our entire house nine months of the year. And we have large temperature variations in the summer. It gets pretty cool often at night, even in the middle of summer. And this led to inconsistent size, growing times, and yield at harvest. Because evenness of temperature and humidity are very important for consistent microgreen product. Since we wanted to grow year-round, we moved the operation into an attached single-car garage that was insulated and heated on the same system as our house. So it's not a lot of extra energy for us to have that heated space. And we maintain a temperature of 69 degrees, plus or minus about 6 degrees. We run fans and have an open window whenever possible. Excess humidity can lead to problems with fungus and mold, so you need to think about your humidity levels. Um, looking at basic equipment and setup, our setup is heavy-duty plastic shelving with shop lights. And we found that there wasn't a lot of investment to get started. We had early payback on our initial investment. Um, electrical adequacy is important with all those lights. We are at capacity for our original wiring in the garage. And as you can see from this photo, this is almost the sum total of our growing operation. We have one more set of shelves that's, that's off to the right, but um, that's, that's almost it right there. We put in a laundry sink, which drains to the floor drain that was already in the garage. Um, our most valuable tools and equipment would probably include our planting trays, both the plug and flat trays, a commercial scale that is accurate to within one gram. That's because you need to measure your seeds quite accurately for the trays, and some kind of cutter for harvesting. Um, we use a combination of scissors and an electric knife. Uh, you need a place to store your seeds and materials. We, mix our soil in big plastic tubs like you can get at 
Target or Walmart. We have harvesting bins and colanders, a salad spinner for the sunflowers. We need coolers for your deliveries. Um, we use a color laser printer and do our own labels. We started out by having the labels done at a copy place because we didn't have a good quality printer. Um, and if you look on your resource handout sheets, you'll see where we get a lot of the things that might be helpful. And there are probably some areas in which we could still automate more, like getting maybe a, a real genuine soil mixer, we still do it by hand, um, and a harvester, such as the kind Jonathan has. Um, just a few other considerations. We have a couple more minutes there, John? One, okay. Um, ongoing expenses are things like seeds, soil components, packaging, and delivery cost. Um, the other things, you know, you buy once and they're good for a long time. Those plug trays we have used over and over and over for two years and we haven't lost any to breakage yet. It's the only kind I would recommend getting and it is listed on your resource sheet. Um, utilities, you have to think about in terms of your situation and supplies. You might have an occasional tray replacement. The flat trays don't hold up as long as the plug trays. Um, a variety of sprinkler heads for your hose, rubber gloves and hair nets for harvesting. We use cheesecloth to keep the um, beets sprouts clean because they don't shed their holes easily, but what comes up through the cheesecloth is clean, so we don't have to worry about trying to wash the holes off. And we use hydrogen peroxide diluted 27% for disinfection of the trays. And I guess that's where we're at, so if anybody has any questions, I just want to say it's been a blessing to us to do this, and it has really been great. One question here. Okay, we use uh, powdered um, organic. We do all veganic growing. We don't use any animal products in our growing, and it's one put out by Converted Organics is the brand, but we get it through Sunny Zona Farms or Great Lakes Academy. It's the 711 Zippy, which is the fast-acting powdered fertilizer. Uh, we can make that spreadsheet available. Uh, you know, if someone could help us program a database uh, to do the same thing, that would be tremendous. But yes, we can make that spreadsheet available, absolutely. We monitor, we have a little just digital temperature humidity thing that tells you what the humidity is. And we use outdoor air because we're in northern Michigan where it tends to be dry except for in the middle of summer. And so we open and shut windows and doors and use fans. I know there's more questions, but they will be here so they can answer questions. We just want to, we're really going to try to keep on schedule here. So thank you. That was power packed, but a lot of information. Um, this is what you would call a niche market. And um, if you have that market, clearly they do. That's a great thing to do. And so hopefully that's inspiring to you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.